papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Welcome to The Media Project, an inside look at media coverage of current events. I'm not Rex Smith. I'm Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president now for editorial development for the New York Press Association, filling in as host this week. Yay, Judy, we love you. Uh, With us today is Barbara Lombardo, former editor of the Saratogian and now adjunct professor at the University of Albany, where she teaches young minds. Great to be here. Mike Spain, former associate editor of the Albany Times Union. Happy to be here. And in a rare appearance in the Media Project, Media Project producer David Gustina joins us as well. The wow. person behind the curtain oh, is right. revealed. <laughs> I have been unveiled. I am not Oz. And I had to thank Judy because when there is no host, she fills in, as does Mike Spain. And it's an honor to be here sitting on the program this week from the deep bench. And we'll find out what you really think, David. It's not going to be an hour, I'll tell you that right now. Well, it's been astounding to me to watch the shift in our country by traditional Republicans and conservatives towards Russia and specifically Vladimir Putin and away from Ukraine. So what role, if any, has the media played in this shift, this dynamic shift? We saw the interview a week or so ago by Tucker Carlson going there, visiting the grocery store, visiting the train station. David, what do you think? Do we bear any responsibility for this? What has prompted this shift among average Americans? Well, I think it's largely led by the Republican Party and the MAGA crowd that has pushed this narrative. It started with Donald Trump really sort of embracing Russia and Vladimir Putin. It seems like he more embraces the dictators in our world than he does the more democratic leadership. And then you have the right-wing media machine that echoes these talking points. You mentioned Tucker Carlson, a disgraceful, disgraceful interview. How many minutes did he have with Putin and how many things did he fail to bring up and even made comparisons that maybe Russia was better than America? When is the last time that you guys, other than since 2016 on, we've seen the Republican Party favorable toward the Russians? It seems to me it used to be communism was the boogeyman among the Republican Party, and then socialism became the boogeyman. And now all of a sudden we're seeing this shift, and Donald Trump is echoing all of it, including this week saying, comparing himself to Navalny, of all people. Up is down, down is up, and we're in a weird media world where now you're seeing a traditional crowd which would thumb their nose at Russia and want this guy in jail or worse, now embracing him. It's like Alice in Wonderland, I think. But Barb, what is the media doing wrong? Are we covering this incorrectly? Are we doing something right? I think the first thing we should do is stop talking about Tucker Carlson as though he was a journalist. He is not, never was, never will be. He's a propagandist. And I think a week or so ago, uh, you referred to him as Putin's puppy. 
<laughs> so let's not even like discuss his commentary, please. Makes me sick to my stomach. As far as the mainstream media, I think that we have a responsibility to keep alive issues. We need to keep Navalny alive in talking about him. We, we need to uh, make sure we keep what's happening in Ukraine alive. We need to repeat over and over again what the truth is and not be sucked into what Trump and his followers are saying. Mike, what can we do better going forward? For example, covering the uh, congressional debate over funding for Ukraine. What are we doing wrong? Are we offering the, the American people enough information about that? I think there's plenty of information, good information available to anybody who wants to have it. The problem is that there are right-wing media out there, and they repeat these talking points that the rank and file who watches and listens and reads this right these right-wing media sites and watches these right-wing media stations um, Fox included they hear these talking points over and over again like you know we we shouldn't be involved in a war on the other side of the world uh, you know that Russia has a lot of legitimate points in this conflict it's a regional conflict, whatever it is. We don't want to support it. We have enough problems on our own border. We don't want to talk about what's going on at the Russian border with Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They hear it over and over again. And then the rank and file turn towards their elected people, their Republicans who represent them and, and make it very clear to them this is where they stand. So the Republican uh, Congress members want to stay in power. So they they fall in line. They know that uh, following Donald Trump's uh, direction in this issue is going to keep the support of the 73 percent, as one survey said, of Republicans who are questioning our support of Ukraine. You know, when we talk about mainstream media, do we now include Sinclair Media, which is definitely, let's say, lenient toward those who would like to be soft on Russia? to put it mildly, and, and what they're forcing their stations in various parts of the country to say and do. Even picking the criteria for what makes news to make that point, asking their viewers, what are you afraid of? And then cherry-picking those stories to reemphasize, as the article points out that we read, that the Republican message of cities crumbling across America is the effect that they have by putting out one story after another about what people are afraid of. Yeah, you know, during a Cold War, it was shameful when the media did not speak out strongly against McCarthy. And now I feel like we're in a different world. Instead of creating a unnecessary fear of Russia, there's a leaning toward, hey, maybe those authoritarian governments aren't so bad. Well, there always you know, will be a segment of your society that has a different opinion from the majority. But what happened with Joe McCarthy, Senator Joe McCarthy, in the 1950s was he was outed by a legitimate news organization, which at the time was CBS News, and Edward R. Murrow interviewed him and exposed him for the bigoted fraud that he was. And America trusted Murrow because he had a reputation, he had legitimacy, and they turned against McCarthy right away, and it was pretty quick. But what's happened now is there may be somebody like Edward R. Murrow today for a whole segment of society, but there's a whole other segment of society that doesn't even see Ed the Edward R. Murrows of today, if there are any. Mike, you make such a great point, because what I would add to our, what we were talking about with the Ukraine situation, he's right. All of the points that we would make about Russia and how dangerous Putin is and what it is right now have been made. 
all legitimate journalism of verification media organizations are doing that. The problem is, and this is what you caught me with here when you, we brought up Murrow before, they had a trusted person they could tune to. But we had a president in 2016 call us fake news. Enemy of the public. And then Enemy you had the social media disinformation campaigns coming around it. And so I think it muddies the waters. And then you have the golly Martha, like what is Trump going to say next? And the idea that there is a Trump bump and both the maybe the right wing, the centrist and the progressive media all report it because they know they're going to get viewers and watchers. It complicates the whole situation. And one of the problems when you have a network of local news television news stations like Sinclair with an objective to accelerate people's fears is that local news, as research has shown, is more trusted than national news. Yeah. And so when you have these local television stations broadcasting this fear-mongering, that only accelerates the problem. It, it's not something that happened a generation ago when you had all these independently owned television stations and local TV Independent. Uh, yeah, independent. So, you know, I, I went to the World War II Museum in New Orleans last week, and one of the things that was striking to me was the display they had of newspapers of, of the time, of before we decided that it was a good idea to get into World War II. And it was amazing the amount of propaganda that played a role in our... Dis uh, isolationism. In our isolation. And, and then to follow what happened afterwards. It just shows the incredibly powerful role the media plays but now it's not just newspapers and it's not just the local radio and TV. It's this, this spread of bad information on social media. And the other thing, Judy, is in my class this week, students, they don't listen to radio. They don't watch television. Most of them just don't do it that way anymore. Our primary media was radio and TV, and that's how we still appointment listen to the world. They don't. And so those other sources are even less clear. The veracity of those is harder to find when you're just using the Internet and social media to gather the news. Well, you're an educator, David, and Barbara, you're an educator of young potential journalists. What is the solution? How do you teach people to differentiate between quality information and biased false information? How can you arm people so that they can be properly skeptical when they hear something, you know, or read something on social media and hear it on the internet, let's say? What tools do people need and when do we intervene and who do we give those tools and how do we get the support to give these tools to people so they can differentiate between false and real? That is the $64 billion question. <laughs> You're so right, If we Barbara. could do that, Dave and I would probably be running the journalism program <laughs> or all, all the journalism programs in the world. I don't know the answer. On a very basic level, there are various organizations and programs that do fact-checking. What's one, for example? Uh, the PolitiFact. PolitiFact. Yeah. PolitiFact and I'm, Snopes I'm is good. Snopes yeah. is another yeah. one yeah. as well. And yeah. you could experiment using those kinds of things. But I feel so overwhelmed and a bit pessimistic about the ability to tell fact from fiction. First, we have to address what David's talking about is getting people to listen to the news at all. And then, now, how do you weigh it, and how do you weigh the credibility of it? And I think Barbara and Judy and Mike and all the folks who've ever been on this panel, and of course Ian Pickus, who's taught as well, we understand that you got to start with the real basics. And for me, I start with the issue of just paying attention. They get a beat, 
They have to pick a subject, and they're going to pay attention to it. They have to blog on it every week. I'm going to want you to read five sources. I want you to keep up on these sources. I'm going to ask questions each week of what's what's the top news story, what do you see, and what criteria is involved in it. So you get them to understand that news in a capitalistic model has a certain criteria for what makes news. We can go right to Sinclair after this if you want, and that's how you know what news is. What is news? You define that. Where do you get news from? And then we talk about that, and we all the time educate them on, I'll give you an example. One of my students did a blog on the food industry, problems in the food industry. And one of the articles in her blog was about lab-grown meat that is now coming out. And some of the school districts in the Midwest want to try using it. And this article, and I told her to be careful about this because this article was about how well, we don't know what's in that lab-grown meat and what's going to happen to the farmers. And when you get down into it, you realize it's it's an article on behalf of the senators in that district. In the agricultural that, district, That right? want to <laughs> shoot down lab-grown meat because of what will happen to the agricultural industry. And she wrote about the little blurb introducing the blog was supporting whatever they said. And I said, you have to be careful. You can't just read a headline. You've got to read the whole article. So we went line by line through the article, and when we got to parts where you'd have to fill in what that means, they were able to do it, but I don't think they pay close enough attention. They follow it all the way through. It's laziness. And if you're not lazy and you read things through, you'll find you understand a lot more than you thought you did before. Right, it's not always laziness as much as maybe not, maybe even not, being, skept- not yeah. being skeptical enough and not being. You're right. Barbara. Some people are naturally going to be skeptical about everything. Those are great journalists usually. But we need to have people who are not going to take something hook, line and sinker because what you're talking about is not fake news, lies, Correct. but it's a slant. So so there's so many different levels you there's some things that are totally misinformation, disinformation. There's things that are nuanced. You know, who is it coming from? What does it really mean? No wonder it's so hard to teach these kids. <laughs> a great journalist will take a story and then their mind will go in like a hundred different directions. What? Who can I ask? Where will the story develop into? And that takes experience, I think, or growing up with a real strong interest in different viewpoints. But that's one of the reasons I experienced reporters are so valuable. And it's tough to see them leave the profession, but they do in increasing numbers. Also, when you online and you Google something, like you Google a story, I would say Google, then hit news. Now look at all the stories that come up. Now compare what they say if you really want to have a sense. And we, of course, have already identified what I consider to be legitimate journalistic sources to be looking at, whether it's the New York Times, you name it, right, WAMC. But the point being that it takes a lot of work, and as Judy said, it takes a long time to get to a point where you really do understand, and all the questions come in your mind right away as to how to approach this story, what to be skeptical about, who I should be reaching out to, to fill out the story. David mentioned Sinclair a few minutes ago. Can we talk a little bit about this news that Sinclair polls its viewers, which a lot of news organizations, to be fair, do readership surveys to figure out what their readers want to hear and what they've come away with. They were asked, their question specifically was, what are you most afraid of? And uh, people responded that they were afraid of uh, homelessness, crime, illegal drug use, failing schools, and other problems with society, and that has driven their coverage in all of these local television stations that Sinclair owns. I mean, local television has long focused on cop news, I would, mm-hmm. we would all agree, but what some media critics are saying is the Sinclair 
focus increases this dramatically. And is it a good thing for us to choose stories that people are really worried about and accelerate them? What is the television stations, the newspapers, the radio stations uh, role in giving people a good mix of the stories? Yeah, it's good to point out, and why we're talking about Sinclair. I mean, they own 185 stations across the country, including one in New York's capital region, WRGB Channel 6. And they are known and has been demonstrated many times by reporting that they send out a very specific message that they want their local anchors and their local news departments to echo. Mike, including copy. Yeah, actual even copy that actual comes down copy. from the top to local right. anchors and the, say, you have to read this exactly the way we wrote it for you. Right. And and David Smith, the guy who runs the company, is a big backer of Donald Trump and of many of the political organizations that support Trump, and he's helped fund them. So they have the ear of an awful lot of people. Yes, it's an older demographic, but they've learned that if you're scared— you're going to want to know more about something. You, are you scared of immigrants? Are you scared of crime? Are you scared of what's going on? Uh, you know, that someone's taking all your tax money and exploiting it for personal gain. Whatever it is, everything is about being scared. And, and that's something that politicians latch on to, too. So it feels like we're being overwhelmed. In Baltimore, and what was the name of this series that they the wrote? The Wire? Uh, well, no, no, no. No, no the, I'm sorry. Oh, you the, mean the their series? Their yeah, series, yeah. yeah. Their award-winning series, wasn't it? Well, no, I'm talking about the uh, Sinclair, right. you know, Baltimore were... is dying. You know, they did a but whole series awards. of stories. They won awards. They won yeah. awards for that series. And then, then they own a station in Seattle, and they write a series. Seattle is dying. You know, I, I think, think they did it in San Francisco. there needs to be more too. nuance. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm very concerned about Sinclair, and yet I'm also a little concerned about the bashing of everything that Sinclair is doing, maybe without having read all of their stories. I found it very problematic that they're, query of readers or listeners or viewers was, what are you most afraid of? Not what issues concern you. There are so many open-ended, neutral ways to ask questions to help them determine what they ought to be writing about. But if someone replies that they're most afraid of homelessness, so then I'm thinking, well, what does that mean? Are they afraid of homeless people? Are they afraid of homeless people making their downtown a place where they don't want to go to anymore? And is or, their fear or, justified? Or what is the homeless af- situation? Are they, or are they afraid that our economy is such that there's a lot of homeless people and we need to address this as a problem? Mm. Or if our schools are in a crisis, it wouldn't be unusual for a mainstream media publication or a TV station to call that a crisis in education. That might be the name of a project that you work on, and it may not be as negative as we're learning that the the, uh, material that Sinclair is producing is. Well, I think it's interesting from two perspectives. One, that it's clearly by their first question they're leading. They're agenda setting here by basically asking that question, and they're going to give them what they want. But how different is that from all mainstream commercial media? Because we talk about the criteria for what makes news. And it's not that 180 planes landed safely at Albany Airport today. It's the one that crashed. So by... Its definition, the criteria for what makes news, could explain doom scrolling alone, that you're going to have a lot of negative stories. You're going to point out the anomalies and the golly Marthas, not what actually is happening regularly every day, like it's actually really safe to fly a plane. In my opinion, when you add that criteria alone, forget Sinclair, and now you put it in a 24-hour news cycle, you've got a race to the bottom. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the most eyeballs and the most ears. And the way you do that is to get more sensational, more outrageous, more golly, Martha. And that doesn't help anyone. 
And my opinion is that journalism, it is in the Bill of Rights, should not be for profit. I don't think healthcare should be for profit. I don't think education should be for profit. But if we're going to have a democracy, we need to preserve journalism. And in many of these articles we're looking at, government support is coming back into the fray because we're losing too many of the commercial private journalistic enterprises. Well, we can go there when it comes to profit or nonprofit models. The bottom line is it's expensive. You need to pay the people who actually do the news and uh, you can no, use WAMC as a benchmark if you uh, want. Yeah, but how many WAMCs will the community support? And we need more than one to get a diversified set of voices. In our local market, once I read the story about this poll, I, I went to our local television station, it's WRGB, which is a legendary station, one of the first in the in country. The country yeah. In the country, I mean, and I thought that their headlines that day mimicked what the local newspapers had done. So I had not, I did not see the alarming stories that the survey was pointing to, but it's an alarming trend, and it's something that people who watch the news, and in fact, far more people watch the local television news than read the local newspaper. I mean, it's a sad fact for us in the newspaper business, <laughs> but uh, but it's a very common way, especially for older people, to get sure. their news, and we need to keep that in mind. And also, Sinclair is very active on social media. Um, the, the stories that they spread, especially from a national Sinclair level, tend to be, I see, uh, very pro-right-wing approaches to almost all their stories. Yeah, you know, David, you are the one who said we should have a public radio model for media, but in the last year, in 2023, and already into this year, there's lots of layoffs, including at not-for-profit Absolutely. news sites. So um, it, is the answer, I mean, Judy, you work with local um, publications around New York State, is the answer public support? I mean, like legislation that will pour money into... Well, before, before you answer, let me just answer back to Mike. I think it's a combination of things, but I mm -hmm. think largely you're going to have more journalism of integrity if you keep it in a not-for-profit model. That's really all I'm saying. But you've got all these pushes now to get Facebook and Metas to pay, and you're seeing bills all over the country mm -hmm. in legislatures to do just that. If we can have a combination of things that boosts media, both commercial and non-commercial... I think that's another way at it because they're doing it in other countries already and they're, they're at least reaping some financial benefit and not having their journalistic work completely stolen. There's always the piper to be paid as well because um, yes. even nonprofit organizations have board of directors that p potentially could influence how the operation works. For me, from my perspective, the best uh, way to do this would be for the people who, to consume the news to pay for the news. But I want it to be a model that allows people who are poor to be able to access the, the news as well. I don't want news to be something that you have to be wealthy in order to consume. So, Well, radio is free. Yes, but I mean... Well, so is TV, but yeah, you, know, you pay a price. <laughs> but the poor can watch it, and the poor can listen, assuming they have a TV, of course. Free, right. you know, TV is not free based on my last Spectrum bill. But you can still get the over-the-air channels now. You can get all the networks that have the news. Yeah, I've got one of those old-fashioned antennas. I don't have that's cable I do either. It. But it's no. true. I mean, you pay for TV and radio with your with your data, with your, your accessing the information and your eyeballs and your attention to underwriter support or advertising messages. And not just for news. I remember thinking, what idiot is going to pay for radio? And this idiot has just got the notice that the your Serum XM subscriptions are up for renewal. Right, right. I pay for satellite radio. Never well. have, never will. <laughs> well, but we all have a threshold nope. on what we want. But there are there are legitimate sources of news that you can get on the internet. You can get over the air. 
that that do do a good job. You just have to learn how to be skeptical enough to fact check and and double check when you hear something that's outrageous to you or unbelievable to you. But it does take it does take some effort on the part of people just hearing it, hearing a headline, getting a glimpse of a headline, a scroll across the bottom of the screen on on a show that you're watching. That you have to dig deeper if you're going to um, really be fair and honest with yourself and, and not just get swayed by, by the headline. And yet it's going in the opposite direction. It, it is. It seems like it's uh, people are. How many characters now? You know, you know what I yeah, mean? People, like are, just, people are, are making their decisions based on three word slogans. You know, where this is, seems to be the, the, yeah. the trend now. And it's, uh, it's really a mistake for people to accept just the rhetoric and and not look deeper and so the enemy I is us comp- i don't know how we compel people to do their homework hey believe it or not we had a ton of topics to talk about and we only got to a few and we're done what it's over our time has run out <laughs> we're into negative space here i just want to say we definitely don't need to go to an hour <laughs> <laughs> well right on time barbara Well, that's all the time we have this week. Thanks to Barbara Lombardo, Mike Spain, and special appearance by David Gustina. I'm Judy Patrick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on The Media Project. Hey, and send us an email if you like the program. It's media at wamc.org. All together fits the bill. All newspaper men are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the day. Sadie Smuggery She wanted money to buy a new fur coat To get insurance she employed The Media Project is a national production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio This week's projectors include Judy Patrick former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association Barbara Lombardo, the former editor of the Saratogian and a journalism professor at the University at Albany former Times Union associate editor Mike Spain and me, David Gustina, producer of The Media Project, will also sit on the panel this week. Look for program number 1708. You can listen to The Media Project anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. Now, newspaper men are such interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally, the movie's notwithstanding. They all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspaper men are such interesting people. When they know they've got a people's fight to wage. Ting-ling-ling newspaper guild. Got a free new world to build. Meet the people, that's a thrill. All together fits the bill. Oh, newspaper men are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the day. Now, publishers are such interesting people. Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. It's funny, Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people.
Let's give three cheers for freedom of the press.